0: Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Philippians 4, verses 21 through 23. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of God. those three short verses we're wrapping up several months of studying the letter that the apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians and hasn't it been rich to reflect on this part of God's word we're going to review some of the big themes from Philippians and center our thoughts on some of the truths about our identity in Christ today I just want to take a moment to pray before we get started one more time would you bow your head with me I really want the Holy Spirit's help this morning. So let's just ask God to help us. Our Father in heaven, your word is powerful and good. So we thank you for the whole Bible. And right now we thank you for the book of Philippians. Thank you for the ways that your grace has been communicated to us through the Apostle Paul. Through your servant, Paul, we have seen a model in this book of a Christ-centered life. And it's my prayer that your Holy Spirit would make us a Christ-centered people. Lord, when we are self-centered, life gets frustrating and discouraging. And we miss out on the joy of partnering in your mission. But when we're Christ-centered, there's freedom and joy and power. So would you help us? By your spirit to be a Christ-centered people. Through Paul, we've seen a call to a life that's focused on the gospel. Lord, I pray today, if, if any of us are coming here and we're really focused on other stuff, that you would help us to have the grace of focusing on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that we would be zealous, like the Apostle Paul, to get the gospel out to all people. Lord, we thank you for your servant, Paul. Reminding us that to trust Christ is a life of joy, that we can rejoice in the Lord. So help us to be a people who don't fix our minds on all the brokenness of the world primarily, but people who fix our minds on the goodness of God, the goodness of God's creation, the goodness of the gospel. And so we overflow with joy. And Lord, Paul has called us to unity. So would you make us a unified and a unifying church? That we would love each other radically. Lord, all of that is stuff that we cannot crank out by our own willpower. We need your grace. We need the work of your Holy Spirit. So I ask right now that you would forgive our sins, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to me and through me now, and that all of our hearts would be receptive to your life-giving word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this little letter ends with a word of blessing from the Apostle Paul. Look at verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, that's a typical ending of a letter for Paul. For example, if you just flipped over to the book of Galatians, you would find in that letter, Paul ends with almost the exact same words, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. These are powerful words. And I think the first thing to ask is just what exactly is Paul doing here? Just think about it for a second. It's kind of like he's praying, but he's not praying, is he? It's kind of like he's saying, may Jesus Christ give you grace for your spirit. That would be praying, talking. Or I'm sorry. It's kind of like he's saying, Jesus Christ, give them grace for their spirit. That would be praying, talking to God. But he's not talking to God, is he? He's talking to, to you. He's, he's writing to the Philippians And saying, may grace, may the grace of the Lord be with you. So what he's doing here is something that uh, happens a lot in the Bible, which is worth thinking about. And it's that he's speaking this word of blessing. Everybody say blessing. blessing. The other word for it would be a benediction. A benediction just means a word of blessing. This is worth stopping to think about. If you just searched in your Bible app for the word blessing, it would come up a lot in the Bible or the word blessed. And in scripture, when God speaks words of blessing, he is speaking a word of power such that when he says it, it happens. And the word of power that he's speaking when he speaks blessing is a word that gives life. It's a creative word. It's a healing word. God's word of blessing has the power to resurrect the dead. God's word of blessing can have ripple effects for generations. Think, it, think about when God spoke a word of blessing to Abraham and blessed Abraham through your seed. Salvation is going to come to all nations. And here we are thousands of years later, and we're still tasting the power of that one word of blessing because the seed of Abraham was Jesus Christ. So when we talk about God's blessing, we're talking about God's mighty words that when he speaks them, the word makes happen what what God is saying. I had an Old Testament professor in seminary who was trying to unpack for us how powerful and important this concept of blessing was in the Old Testament. And he said, if you want proof that Christians don't understand just what this thing of blessing is all about, just listen to them pray before they eat turkey dinner on Thanksgiving he says, they're going to pray, God bless the turkey. But if God said yes to that prayer, the turkey would sprout feathers. It would sprout feet. a beak would pop out and it would start gobbling all over the table because God's blessing gives life. God's blessing. And so he says, don't pray God to bless the turkey. Pray God to bless you. And he was being humorous, but he was saying something that's really important and significant. When God blesses somebody in the Bible, he's speaking words of power now. This connects us to the fact that in the Bible also, we see this pattern of human beings whom God has given a role of leadership in some significant way. And and part of that leadership is this ability to speak words of blessing. Now, I want to be clear here. There's a big difference between human speech and God's speech, right? There have been times in my life where I've tried... You heard the saying, speak it into existence? I've tried it and it didn't work. <laughs> right? Uh, I, I may want it to start raining or to stop raining, but if I say rain or don't rain... Now, God may want to do a miracle through me. If He does that, glory to God. But human words don't have the power to create the universe from nothing, do they? God's words have those pow- that power. But if in the wisdom of God and according to His grace He ordained somebody to be a leader for a purpose and to speak His words of blessing, now that human word... ...is endowed with the word of power from God. And I'm not making this up. Just go start reading through your Bible. Go look at the words of Melchizedek. And when Melchizedek speaks a blessing on Abraham... ...or go look at uh, Isaac speaking a blessing on Jacob... ...or go look at Jacob speaking a blessing on his sons, on Judah and on uh, Joseph... ...just over and over throughout the Bible. If there's somebody, it's usually a parent speaking to their children... ...or a spiritual leader speaking to the people of God... And when this person, filled with the Spirit, is speaking this word of blessing, that's the word of God, they're becoming a channel of grace so that God is speaking through that person to make it happen. You got it? So, everybody say blessing. Blessing. Or we can say benediction. Benediction. So, that's what Paul's doing at the end of this letter and at the end of all the letters. By the way, that's also what happens at the end of our service. Okay? Christians throughout the ages have understood this theology of blessing and if you don't understand it then we're going to try and fix that right now when chauncey's going to stand up at the end of our service and he's going to speak a word of blessing now we got to understand we love chauncey i love chauncey don't you love chauncey yes. pastor Chauncey's is a wonderful man he's a wonderful friend because he's one of my best friends i can tell you he's a man of integrity he's awesome and he's a sinner that needs grace just like the rest of us and his words do not have the power to create the universe right but Chauncey knows the God whose words do have the power. So if Chauncey is standing up here and God has set apart Chauncey um, to be a pastor in our congregation and Chauncey is speaking scripture words of God out to you as the Bible tells us, teaches us to do. And you're receiving that word by faith. Then in in a little while at the end of the service service. Chauncey is going to be speaking a word of blessing from the Lord that you receive by faith. And he becomes a channel, an instrument of God's blessing into your life. You get how that works? So Paul is doing that right here. And he's he's writing it such that the readers of this letter, meaning the Philippians and us, when we hear it, these words become a pipeline for God's grace to flood into our lives if we receive them by faith. So don't you want to receive this word by faith? What does it say? It says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's just pause and think about that for a second. First of all, I want you to notice the two titles that Paul gives to Jesus here. First, he says, Lord. Everybody say, Lord. Lord. Paul loves to call Jesus Lord. And when he unpacks what he means by that, here's what he means. After he died on the cross for our sins and rose again, Jesus sat on a throne as the Lord of the whole cosmos of the heavens and the earth. So Jesus is Lord over every human political institution. Jesus is Lord over your life and my life. Jesus is Lord over all the forces of creation and, and nature and weather and all that stuff. Jesus is Lord over angels. Jesus is Lord over even demons have to submit to his will. Jesus is exalted as Lord of all. And from that throne... He sent his spirit to fill the church with authority to advance his kingdom. We're sharing the gospel, inviting people to repent and receive grace from King Jesus. And he's patiently waiting to defeat evil until more and more people have uh, responded to the gospel in faith and received his forgiveness. But one day the Lord is coming back to the earth to set things right. And with the power of his word, evil will be defeated forever and all things will be made new. So when Paul says the Lord Jesus, he's talking about mighty authority. And then he says Christ. Everybody say Christ. Amen. Now the word Christ means anointed one. And specifically it refers to the promise in the Old Testament that there will be a, a king anointed with the Holy Spirit whom God will send to bring the kingdom of God to the earth. And, and Paul is saying all those hopes and all those promises of the Old Testament have found their fulfillment of Jesus, the son of God, who's also a human being anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit to bring things uh, to bring God's purposes of healing to the world. So what Paul is doing at the end of this letter said, I'm speaking a word of blessing. I'm speaking a word of life, but the power doesn't come from me. The power comes from the one who's on the throne and who's on the throne. What does it say? Jesus. Everybody say it's all about Jesus. Think about this. If you feel frustrated or discouraged about all the chaos and craziness in the world every day and every year and certainly today and this year. Think about the fact that the person who's sitting on the throne as the Lord of heaven and earth is Jesus, the same guy you read about in the Gospels. So when you read that story of a woman caught in adultery and how Jesus forgives her. And says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's the guy who has the authority to forgive your sins. When you read in the Gospels about the guy who touches lepers, everybody else was afraid of them and shamed them. But he's not afraid of them. And he doesn't shame them. He cleanses them. That's the guy who's on the throne. And of course, we look at the cross and we see this is how much God loves us. The son of God. In human flesh, giving his life, suffering so that we could be reconciled to God and enjoy relationship with God forever. That's the guy who's on the throne, which is really good news. So the text is saying Jesus Christ is on the throne with all power. He's the Lord of creation. And, we're, and Paul is saying to everybody who reads this letter and receives it by faith, I'm just unleashing to you grace for your spirit. So everybody say grace. Grace is God's undeserved kindness towards us. Grace is something that God gives us, not because we've earned it, but because God is love. Grace has to do with gifts. Okay, it's different than wages. You know, the difference between wages and gifts. If you go get a job at the corner store for nine dollars an hour and you go go to work today and you go work 10 hours, you're working hard, you're stocking shelves you're sweeping the floor, you're keeping the restrooms clean, you're checking, uh, checking the inventory. That's hard work, isn't it? And if you work hard all day, 10 hours, you get there 7 a.m. work till 5 p.m. That's hard work. At the end of the day, you have earned your paycheck. So they, they hired you for $9 an hour. You work $10 and uh, you work 10 hours. I know we haven't been in school for a while, but I'm pretty sure that's $90 until uncle Sam comes right for, for the taxes. So you earned ninety dollars, that's your wage. They don't give it to you out of grace, they give it to you out of justice. Right? And if they don't give it to you, you're gonna get a lawyer and demand justice. That's different than a Christmas present. When you come down on Christmas morning and it's just waiting for you don't have to do anything to earn it. By the way, this this is one of the reasons why the whole Santa Claus naughty and nice thing kind of ruins Christmas. You know what I'm saying? Because it's like, you got to be good to earn a gift. It's like, I don't think y'all know what a gift is. I don't think you understand it. The whole point, the first Christmas, the whole point of Jesus is that God came to give a gift. And the gift that he gave was himself. And he gave it to a humanity in which everybody was on the naughty list. Right? So we're all sinners. None of us deserved it. It's a gift. You can't earn it. So when Paul talks about grace, he's saying God is love. And God has has overflowing love for you that you don't deserve, that you could not earn, but he gives it into you anyway because God is good. And he's saying, may the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of God who's on his throne, unleash that grace into your life in a way that strengthens your spirit. Does anybody today have a spirit that could use some strengthening? What, what does this mean? Somebody in the room Came to church today, but you're feeling a profound amount of shame because of your sin. And what Paul is saying to you, even though you blew it bad last week, not a little sin, a real sin, a sin that deserves judgment. and You've got shame or maybe it was 20 years ago, but you can't shake the shame. What Paul is saying to you is there is on the throne someone who has the authority to say you are forgiven And before he got on the throne, he went to the cross and he bore your sin. He already took your punishment. And I'm speaking a word of power, a word of blessing to you. If you'll just receive it by faith, it's yours. It's this word of grace. If you'll receive it, your sin is forgiven. Your shame is done forever. You don't have to live in it. There's another person here that maybe it's not so much shame, it's just fear. Anybody feel a little anxious about what the future might hold? I know every parent with school-age children does, right? Because either you're sending your kids to school because you think that's what's best for them and for your family, but you're afraid maybe people are going to get sick. Or you're homeschooling your kids because you think that's what's best for your family, but you're wondering, do I have the resources to do it well? Or are they going to thrive? And there's all sorts of anxiety about the future. And uh, here's this word. Paul Paul says, if you'll just receive it by faith, it's yours God is going to take care of your children. Jesus is on the throne. And he's just saying, here's grace. Here's grace that will say to your soul, you can rest and trust God with your kids' future. Just receive it. We can keep going down the list. But what he's saying is Christians in Philippi and Christians in Oklahoma City and Christians all over the world. Our spirits get weary. Our spirits get distracted. Somebody in the room is not shame for past sin. It's right now temptation. I want to walk with God. I want to walk with God, but I feel overwhelmed by this habit, this addiction, whatever it is. And there's a grace that is stronger than your temptation. It's stronger than your addiction. And Paul says, just receive this word. Isn't that a great way to end a letter? Everybody say blessing. And the verses before that, verses 21 and 22... Paul is, is just, doing, he's just doing business at the end of a letter, saying, say hi to so-and-so, say hi to so-and-so. But the way that Paul says hi is likewise a channel of grace and blessing. Because in these verses, he's telling us some key things about our identity. Let's, let's read them together. Read them with me, verse 21-22. It says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Now, we could pause right here. Paul's just... He wrote a letter to his friends in the church at Philippi, and this just means... Tell everybody I said hi. Tell everybody in the church I said hi. But he doesn't just say that. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Now, that word saint is an important word. And as we're going to unpack here in a moment, Paul is saying every Christian, everybody who's trusted Jesus, no matter how big of a sinner you have been in your past, if you trust in Jesus, receive his grace, be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are a saint. Because of your union with Christ Jesus. Notice he says saints in Christ Jesus. It's because we're connected to Jesus that now we are saints. So everybody say, we are the saints. He's saying a, a powerful word about Christian identity. And then he says, the brothers who are with me greet you. Now, there's another key word. You might underline that word saint. You might underline the word brothers. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. When he says the brothers... This is a a Greek word which uh, could be gender inclusive, mean brothers and sisters. Probably in this context, Paul is referring specifically to the group of men who were on his missionary team. And now they're still with him, taking care of him in prison because in verse 22, he then says all the saints. So first he's talking about the brothers that are with him directly. And then he says all all the Christians that are connected to me. Where I am on on house arrest in the city of Rome. Everybody blesses you. But the point I want you to connect here is there's two really important things about identity here. One of them is if we're connected to Jesus by grace, we've been adopted into the family of God. The father of Jesus Christ is our father, which means we've got an all powerful and all loving person looking out for us who's going to take care of us. Feed us, protect us, discipline us in love, provide for our needs. But it also means if the God of Jesus Christ is my father and your father, that makes us brothers and sisters. We are family. So Everybody say we are family. But the other thing that it says here is we're saints. So I want to wrap up our reflections of the book of Philippians by coming back to this. Now, if you were with us a few months ago and we started the book, we looked at the, the opening of this letter and emphasized the exact same points. Paul starts this letter and ends this letter subtly reminding us of the reality of our identity in Christ. Why does he do that? Because the issue of identity in Christ is one of the absolutely most crucial issues in the spiritual life. If we want to live a life of joy, if we want to experience the fullness of God's plan for us, if we want to have the power of the Holy Spirit unleashed in our lives so that we can bless others, And make disciples and share the gospel and bring God's peace and justice into the world. We need to know who we are. So we got to talk about this issue of identity. Everybody say identity. identity. When we're talking about identity, we're talking about questions like this. Who am I? What is my purpose? Does my life even matter? Is my life significant? Does anybody care about me? Those are the deep heart level questions that are going on inside of us all the time. For a lot of us, they're probably happening unconsciously most of the time, but then we lay down in bed at night and they start coming to the surface. Does anybody love me? Does my life even matter? Who am I? Identity is crucial. What we think about who we are is going to have a dramatic impact on the way that we live. Now, Paul wants to say a couple things to us here about our identity. Let's talk about this issue of we're brothers and sisters in Christ for a moment. And then I want to end uh, with the emphasis on Paul saying we are saints. First of all, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. I just want to offer a brief reflection about this. If you wonder, does anybody love you? Do I have a place to belong? What the Bible is saying is yes God loves you. God has eternally loved you. God has prepared a place for you to live in his presence forever. And now God has invited you into a family called the church. You belong. We want you here. That's the answer to that question. And the more that we learn to live out that reality, the more powerful the witness of the church is going to be. I had an experience yesterday that I got to share with you. I was working with some Christian leaders to create a new discipleship curriculum, which is going to be really exciting. We can tell you more about that later. But I got to sit around a table with four or five of my heroes, men and women, who uh, are older than me and who are filled with the Spirit and with the Word of God and who for decades have been world changers, leaders. They know the Lord. And as we were sitting around making one of these little videos for discipleship and, and talking about life, one of the questions that we asked in that video was, "What what has the church... The community of Christians, What has the church meant to you? And every one of them went around the table and told a story about how the trajectory of their whole life was changed when they experienced family in the church. Three of these world changing leaders talked about how I came from brokenness and my family had divorced and I was engaged in addiction, big brokenness. And then somebody invited me into the church and people loved me and I found family and that opened my heart to Christ. One of them said that happened in my my father's generation. My dad had lived that way. And then my dad came to know Christ. And because of that, I was nurtured in a loving, Christ-centered home. But I had a good family. But the church was my extended family. And the church were all my aunties and uncles and grandparents and brothers and sisters. And that community formed me and shaped me to make me the person that I am today. Now, that is true. That is who God has ordained the church to be. But the way that identity in Christ works is... This is who we are. And now we've got to learn how to live out who we really are. So for us, I, I got to say to this church family, one of the things we your community group leader is going to ask you to do this week is to reflect. How can we as a church and as a community group grow more and more in loving each other as family? By the way, that's a plug. If you're not in a community group, you should join one now. So you can go have that discussion this week. Um, Talk about family. I want to suggest to you in our generation, if we care about people coming to know Christ and experiencing the transforming grace of Christ, there's a lot of people out there that do not assume Christianity is true. I love apologetics. I love to reason with people and tell them why I think Christianity is rational. And why the Bible is reliable and why there's good historical evidence that Jesus really rose from the grave. That's wonderful. But you have maybe noticed that most of your friends are not making decisions in life based on a clearly thought out set of, you know, rational arguments. Anybody have any friends who make any decisions that way? It's not a high percentage, I bet. Increasingly, I think our generation, our culture, people are just overwhelmed by information. They're overwhelmed by completing claims and worldviews. And often before people are willing to even consider if something is rational, they're asking the question, is it authentic? And if I think about over the last 10 years, where where have I seen people come to know Jesus Christ? Where have I seen people's lives transform? They need to be rooted in the truth of God's word. But every single time, without exception, people that I know who experienced lasting transformations from the gospel, the first step was they encountered Christians that loved them deeply and started to step in community that felt like family. Every single time. And that's when the gospel became credible, that they were open to truth claims and reasoning arguments and believed the gospel. So if we want to see people experience God's grace, we've got to learn to love each other like family. Amen? As we move towards a finish here, let's talk about this other issue, saints. I have a feeling that just first reaction, if I tell you today... You're in the family of God and you're a saint. And then I ask you, which one of those most resonates with you? Most of us are probably going to say family of God because we're all longing for family. But I want to spend the last few minutes of our study of Philippians trying to do everything I can to pour out my heart to tell you, you should get excited about being a saint. So are you ready? Here we go. We've got a few minutes to get you excited about this. Let's talk about this issue of saints. Everybody say, we are the saints. We are the saints. We are the saints. What does this mean? The word saint means the holy ones. So the concept of saint is connected with holiness. Now we got to start by recognizing the way that people tend to use that word today is different than the way the Bible uses that word. So if you hear the word saints, like if somebody says he's a saint or she's a saint, they usually mean that person is really, really loving, really, really kind, really, really good role model. And if it's in a Christian context, they may mean that's a really mature Christian that we should learn from and imitate. If you go to the bookstore and you see something that says saints lives, it's going to tell you stories about great examples of mature Christians from history that you can learn from, right? So in other words, it means extra special, mature, holy Christians. That's what people mean usually when they say saints, Mother Teresa, saint, right? Whoever, whoever you think of as a great example, we call them a saint. And I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I love to read the lives of the saints. I, but I am telling you, that's a little bit different than how the Bible uses the word and the way the Bible uses it is good. Because when the Bible talks about saints, it's not just saying those those people like Mother Teresa. Those people, who, who whoever your your great role model of the Christian that you would aspire to be like someday. Those are saints. It's saying if you have trusted Jesus, you are a saint. You are one of God's holy ones. We are the saints. What, what I'm trying to say is being a saint isn't something you achieve. It's a gift you receive. You catch that? Being one of God's holy ones is not something you achieve. It's a gift of grace that you receive by virtue of your union with Jesus. When you get connected to Christ, you believe in Jesus, you get baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you're a saint. So, so what does that mean? We said that it means the holy ones, but probably most of us don't have real clear ideas about what holiness is either, so that maybe doesn't help. Let's talk about this word, holy ones, holiness, and that'll help us think about what, what is Paul saying about us and who we are. If you want to talk about holiness in the Bible, you've got to start by talking about God. And when we say God is holy, we're saying God is absolutely unique and absolutely pure. There is no one like God. There's no power like God's power. There's no wisdom like like God's wisdom, and there's nothing dirty, nothing evil in God. His God is love. He's purity. He's holiness. The Bible's most common symbol for holiness is the symbol of fire. Think of Moses at the burning bush. Fire is a symbol of holiness because fire attracts us. Fire gives us life. If there was no sun, we would die. If there's no sun, the plants would die, and we'd freeze. And if you're out. Uh, outside in the winter, you want a fire. It keeps you warm. And it's beautiful. And it, it moves. And it's colorful. And it's light. It attracts. But at the same time, if you touch it, what happens? You get burned. If you touch the fire, you get burned. Why is that a symbol for God's holiness? Because God is good. God's goodness gives us life. God's goodness is the only reason we can live. But we are sinners. And God's goodness is too much for us. Which means... This is the big problem. I mean, if you were wondering what's the big problem in the world, I promise you it's not the coronavirus. And even some of the big issues that have us reeling as a society, like racism, big moral problems, huge human issues, are symptoms of a bigger problem. Here's the bigger problem. There's something fundamentally wrong with every human being. We have rebelled against God that has corrupted our nature such that we're sinful. We're filled with potential. We long for goodness. We long for beauty. We long for justice. All of that is a longing for God. And yet we rebel against God. We want to be in charge of our lives, which means if we really got what we wanted and touched God's goodness, it would burn us up. That's the problem in the world. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that the Holy One, Jesus Christ, came and lived among us. The the Son of God took on human nature and on that cross he bore our sin so that when we get connected to Jesus, we get clean, we get purified, we can go all the way into the presence of God and instead of getting consumed, we get purified by his love. That's the gospel. So when Paul says, we are the saints, what he means is, Through Jesus, you have been connected to the holiness of God. The basic meaning is you have been set apart for God. So everybody say set apart. apart. There's a negative and a positive. This set apart means you're set apart from the destructive, wicked power of the world. And it means you're set apart for God. Set apart from the destructive power of the world. So if you're going to be a Christian, you can't blend in. If you're going to be a Christian, you've got to be countercultural. The world is going in a way. Maybe you've noticed the world is going in a way that leads to craziness, leads to death and destruction. You've got to be willing to go against the grain of the destructive world system, be set apart from that system. But it also means set apart for God. You're united with God in a covenant relationship with love. That's what it means when it says you're the holy ones and and you're the holy one because now God, the Holy Spirit. Lives inside of you to empower you. As I was trying to think about what is this like? What is it like? What is Paul saying about our identity? Here's what came to mind. The kids in the room can identify with what I'm about to say. Or if you're a kid at heart, or if you have kids, or if you've ever been a kid, you might be able to relate. Anybody ever go to the water park or the pool and you get in the lazy river? Okay. Isaiah Infinity nodding over there. You love the lazy river, don't you? Elijah's celebrating. The lazy river is fun. When you get in the lazy river, it's great because you can be lazy, right? It just carries you along. The stream carries you along and you go around and around in circles and you pass under waterfalls and it's great. It's fun. Have you ever tried to go against the stream? It's hard. hard. If you're going with the stream, it carries you along. It doesn't take any effort. If you start swimming hard, you can go fast with the stream. If you go against it, you can try really hard for a long period of time and just go a a little bit of way. And here's how Christian identity works. There is a current in the world that's going that way. The world system is going to death. It's going to destruction. And you were born into sin, according to the Bible, which means everything, your nature, everything inside of you was going that same direction. Now, when you're in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Second Corinthians 517, a new nature has been awakened in you, which goes in. It goes that way. It goes in a different direction. And that new nature in you is your true humanity being awakened to be like Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is poured into you to lead you that way and to empower you to go that way. So when Paul says things sometimes about my spirit and my flesh are at war, he's saying the Holy Spirit is activating the good desires of my new nature. to want to go towards God and the simple, sinful impulses of my old life is pulling me back that way that leads to destruction. You hear that? And I just as I was thinking about that picture, a verse came to my mind. Anybody somebody maybe knows it, John seven, thirty eight through thirty nine, listen to what Jesus said before his death and resurrection. John seven thirty eight through thirty nine Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, I'm still reading, this is verse 39. When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. He was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him, but the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not entered into his glory. Here's what it's saying Jesus is going to die on the cross for our sins, rise again, sit on a throne in heaven, then pour out the Holy Spirit on the church. And it said, All you have to do to receive the Holy Spirit is believe in Jesus. Did you hear that? He he said he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. Do you believe in Jesus? Then the Holy Spirit lives in you. And what this text is saying is the Holy Spirit in you is a mighty river. It's a strong current, a river of life. And it's going that way. It's going towards God. Paul is saying, remember your identity. You have impulses in you that are going that way, like the world. But that's not who you are anymore. That's the sinful flesh. Jesus helping you kill that. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you work against it. Who you are is God's holy ones set apart from the world, set apart for God. And God's leading you that way. He's leading you towards life. You're going to have to be countercultural. Now, I'm almost out of time here, so... I need to move to a conclusion, but I want to finish this time with just a few seconds of reflecting. How has this letter of Philippians been preparing us to hear this closing word? In other words, how has Philippians been telling us, church family, to be different than the world and to be set apart for God? And, and I want you to recognize what what the scripture is saying is that this to be a saint. Is who you are. Somebody here is saying, I don't feel like a saint. What I'm saying is who cares? How you feel is not who you are. What Jesus says is who you are. Somebody's saying, no, no, it's not just that I don't feel like a saint. I didn't act like a saint. I, and I'm saying, I know. That's why I'm calling your repentance right now. But how you acted last week is not who you are. What Jesus says is who you are. Your identity is determined by your union with Jesus Christ. So if you were acting in a destructive way last week, Paul is saying, stop it. That's not who you are. And if last week you were working with the creative purpose of God, loving people, sharing the gospel, bringing justice to the oppressed, Paul's saying, that's because that's who you are. Keep doing it. Now, in your community group, you're going to have a chance to talk about how God calls us to set apart from the world and set apart for God. Everybody should join a community group. But I just want to end by reading you a few statements. I've got scripture references from the book of Philippians. Everything in here is straight from the book of Philippians. I'm not even going to read those references right now. Uh, you can come ask me later or you can just go read the book of Philippians over and over for the rest of your life, which would be even better. But I'm just going to speak a few summary statements. What I would ask you to do right now is just pray as I read these slowly that the Holy Spirit will speak to you, reminding you who you are. Each one of these statements is talking about how God calls us out of the world, set apart from the world, set apart for God. And I want to make it clear when I'm talking about set apart from the world. I don't mean set apart from God's good creation. What it means is we live on this planet responsibly in a way that is now connected to Jesus and his mission to redeem the world, not according to the sinful patterns that are destroying the world. So let me read these words and I would encourage you, ask the Holy Spirit to touch your heart with one or two of these you need to hear and then jot it down. There should be a pen in the pew in front of you. Write it down so that you can reflect on it and live on it this week. If you need to close your eyes to help you not be distracted, you can do that right now. I'm just speaking what Philippians has said about our identity as the saints of God. God calls us out of complaining and despair. God calls us into joy, hope and thanksgiving. God calls us out of complaining and despair. That's how the world gets overwhelmed by the darkness in the world. But since we know Christ. And we have hope of resurrection. God calls us into joy, hope, and thanksgiving. Second one. God calls us out of slavery to fear and anxiety. Doesn't mean that we never feel those anxious feelings, but they don't have to control us anymore. God calls us out of slavery to fear and anxiety. God calls us into trusting prayer and peace. God calls us out of, here's the third one, God calls us out of self-defeating selfishness. This whole book of Philippians has been about, don't live for yourself, let Christ be the center of your life, and then learn to serve other people. But the paradox here is when you live for yourself, you defeat yourself. Has anybody noticed in your life, the more you try to live for yourself, the less happy you are? Yeah, we keep doing it. That's a sinful nature, taking us that way. And Paul's been saying, No. No, there's something better. So so God calls us out of self-defeating selfishness. God calls us into the freedom of knowing Christ and serving other people. God calls us out of performance-based identity. The whole world is stressing ourselves out, trying to do good so that we can feel important and loved. And Paul says, no, you're called out of that. Instead, God calls us into grace-based identity. Philippians 3, he said, I had all the performance. I checked all the boxes. I won all the merit badges, and I was still miserable. Then I found Christ. He gave me the gift of knowing I'm loved by God. God calls us out of pride and divisiveness. God calls us into humility, unity, and self-giving love. Church family, if we want to act like family, this is the one we need got to internalize. It's been a major theme of Philippians. God called us out of pride and divisiveness. If you get into arguments with your friends all the time in the church family, Paul's Paul saying, no, don't destroy community, you're a saint. You're called to something better. He's calling you into humility. Let your default be encouragement, not argument and criticism. He calls you into humility, unity and self-giving love. Next one. God calls us out of soul crushing cycles of thought. God calls us into the joy of enjoying goodness wherever we find it. Thinking about goodness. That's Philippians 4.8. I'll give you that reference. He calls us out of soul crushing cycles of thought. Some of you know what I mean. You've got scripts going through your head all day of Words of shame and condemnation. Somebody spoke to you thinking about a failure. You go to bed at night thinking about whatever the worst thing you was that day. And and Paul's saying, no, you don't have to think about that. God's calling you into the joy of contemplating God's goodness wherever you find it. God calls us out of isolation. There's some people in the room that God brought you here today to say, quit isolating yourself. You're called to community. So God calls us into a community of love and wisdom. And finally, here's the last one. God calls us out of worldly futility. God calls us into gospel fruitfulness. Before I pray for you, I'm going to tell you what I mean by that one. That's what chapter one was all about in Philippians. What do I mean by worldly futility? Listen, we should know that our attempt to achieve greatness by making money and paying off our car and paying off our house and our kids succeeding in school, all those things that... America tells us are going to make us great, won't, won't make us feel lastingly great. It won't cause people to remember us. It won't save our souls. One thing that should remind us of that is just noticing that everybody dies. Right? If I'm trying to achieve eternal greatness and satisfaction through the American dream, turns out everybody dies. It doesn't work. If, we, if that wasn't enough, God sent us the year 2020. I had so many brilliant plans, and it was... Why we are going to study Ecclesiastes next? Because everything is like vanity and chasing after the wind. But God gives us hope and joy in the midst of the craziness. So Paul calls us out of the rat race of trying to achieve significance in a way we never could. But remember what Paul, I love chapter one because Paul's saying, I'm in prison. Um, I might die. I'm not sure. I'm being oppressed, but it's great. I'm telling everybody about Jesus in here. Remember that? What Paul was teaching us is if your life is about the gospel, if your life is about the gospel, then you've got fruitfulness in every season. One of the marks of maturity. Let me just say, church family, throughout the the last several months of craziness, God has grace for all of us where we are. But some of us, when we when we start pouring out our hearts, what mostly comes out is stressed about finances, stressed about school, stressed about this, stressed about that. And if that's where you are, that's okay. God has grace for you. And the book of Philippians says just pray to God about it. But there's some people in our congregation. It's been refreshing for me to get around them because they're showing us what maturity looks like according to Philippians because every time I get around them, it's not that they don't have problems. They talk about it, but what really flows out of their mouth is, oh, there's so many opportunities for people to hear the gospel right now. Or if they're burdened, they're burdened. How are we going to get the gospel out to those people that it's hard to know? They're thinking about the gospel. And because of that, there's joy and energy. God calls us out of worldly futility into gospel fruitfulness. Let me say a word of prayer for you. Everybody, to finish, say, we are the saints. saints. Lord, thank you for this gift of an identity that we couldn't have earned, but you give it to us by grace. Help us to walk in it. Help us not to go with the flow of the destructive world pattern, fighting against the. Current of your spirit in us, but help us to walk in our true identity in Christ, going with the current of your spirit and against the flow of our culture. Lord, we fell often, but so we thank you for being a gracious and forgiving God who picks us up, lovingly dusts us off, and encourages us after we fell. As we go to the Lord's table now, strengthen our conviction of this truth that in Christ we are the saints. Amen.